0: Uh, So last week, we launched a a brand new series. It's going to carry us through most of the fall, and it's called Jesus Is Not Part of My Life. And uh, one of the things that I shared uh, last week, uh, and I know it sounded very odd uh, to a lot of people, but I stood here and told you that Jesus is not part of my life. And that was kind of shocking, but even more shocking was I said, Jesus actually doesn't want to be part of my life. Uh, And the whole heart of this series is that you know, five, six weeks from now, as we walk through this series together, is that all of us would actually say with confidence and conviction, you know, Jesus was part of my life, but he is no longer part of my life. My heart and my hope is that all of us would say, Jesus is my life. He doesn't just have a piece of me. He doesn't just have a part of me. Uh, He has all of me. Uh, Our heart in this fall series is that we would say that, that I'm all in, I'm not halfway in, I'm not like 99% in. He's got all of me, not just a part of me, but Jesus is my life. Uh, And the reality, and I shared this last week, is if he just has a part of you, then you're gonna live a very compartmentalized life. And your life in many ways will be fractured and it's gonna look mostly like a pie chart. And you've got a section for this, and a section for this, and a section for Jesus. But the hard thing about living a very compartmentalized life is, what's holding it all together? What's holding the pieces and the parts that make up your life, what's holding it together? Now for me the beauty of going all in with Jesus and saying he is my life is he gives shape and form and meaning and purpose to every aspect of my life. So because Jesus is no longer part of my life, my marriage is different. Because Jesus is no longer part of my life, my parenting, my three kids, my relationship with them is different. Every area of my life is different because Jesus isn't part of it. He is all of it. And so that is our hope in this series. I read this quote last week uh, from Steve Timmis, and he said this, "'Following Jesus is a beautifully all-encompassing reality. There is no area of my life that is not subject to God's saving, sovereign care. That includes my relationships, my affections, my emotions, my ambitions, my work, my leisure, my time, my money, my resources.'" You name it, and Jesus made it all, paid for it all, claims it all, and rules over it all. This is an altogether wonderful and liberating truth. It's not liberating to live a compartmentalized life. It's very tiring. It's very exhausting trying to manage and control all of the the pieces and parts. But if we go all in and say Jesus isn't part of it, he is all of my life, uh, it is a as Steve Timmis says, a wonderful and a liberating truth. Now, tonight, uh, say you're in that place and you're in the place, I want to move forward. Uh, I don't want Jesus to be a part of my life or a piece of my life. My heart for what we're doing tonight, if we're going to go all in and no longer Jesus is part of my life, but is my life, I want to spend time looking backwards. Because if you want to go forwards, uh, it's going to be helpful to look backwards uh, first. Um, now, I know, let me give a disclaimer of sorts. I know for some, I realize that the thought of looking backwards and looking back into your past can be painful, and it can be discouraging, and it can be just really hard. And so my point in heading uh, there tonight is not to cause greater pain or frustration. My hope is that we'd be able to declare with confidence Jesus isn't actually part of my past. He is my past. I know for a lot of us, when we look backwards, we say, well, yeah, he was part of my past or he was a piece of my past. But my hope is that tonight, you'd actually be able to say, you know what? He actually was never part of my past. Jesus was my past. Now, you might say, Michael, I didn't even know Jesus in my past. I didn't even care about Jesus in my past. I didn't walk with Jesus in my past. Well, even if that's true of you, and you just met Jesus a year ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago, he knew you before you knew him. He cared about you before you cared about him. So even if you did not know Jesus in your past, Jesus knew you. And I wrote it down in my journal this week like this. He was at work in your past in order that you'd see him today. Be more like him tomorrow so that those around you would know and see his love for them. He has been at work in your past. All the circumstances and events and hard things and everything, Jesus was using all of those things so that you would come to see him and know him and love him, that you would look more like him tomorrow, and that the men and women in your life, that they would actually be able to come to see and know him Uh, And his amazing love for them as well. Now, I don't know if this will be helpful, but it was helpful to me to kind of look back at my past and how do I understand it? I'm 42 years old now, so how do I organize my past? And I kind of came up with four ways that was helpful to me in how I understand the events of my past. The first one, uh, how I organized it was dumb, selfish, sinful choices that I made. And I will not bore you with the details, but I made many. Many dumb, sinful, selfish choices that I made in my 42 years that had devastating impacts on me and unfortunately devastating impacts on other people. So as I look back and I can look at situations or circumstances, I can say, that was all me. I, did, I made some really selfish, sinful choices that had a tremendous impact on me and others. Another way I look back and kind of understand the past is dumb, selfish, sinful choices that people made that had a negative impact on me. Because other people chose to be sinful, chose to be selfish, chose to be rebellious, that had a tremendous impact on me. I look back in another way and I say, you know what? There were people who made sacrificial choices. And because they made sacrificial choices in my life, I benefited from that. And I have a long list of men and women in my life who made incredible sacrificial choices so that I could grow so that I could learn, so that I could mature, so that I could heal. So I'm thankful as I look back. Yeah, I made a lot of dumb choices, sinful choices. Other people made similar choices that had an impact on those around me. But I also look back and say I'm thankful for the people in my life who made some sacrificial choices. And then my fourth category, uh, and I have a feeling this will resonate with a lot of you as well. My fourth category is just what I would call mystery, when I look back at the events of my life in certain situations and circumstances, I, I just chalk them up as mystery. I don't know why that happened. I don't understand why that happened. I just chalk it up as mystery. I give you one example of mystery for me and Kyla is between uh, Riley and my son, Caden, we miscarried. And if you've ever gone through that, it's really hard. It's really painful uh, to have the joy and excitement of being pregnant. Uh, and looking forward to meeting your child, uh, only to lose that child, I have not. I don't have an answer of why why that happened. Uh, that to me is a mystery. I'm okay with mystery because in this instance, in particular, I'm thankful that there's already one of my kids in heaven. Waiting that I'll get to meet him or her. So. That's how it is helpful for me to look back and organize. Now, I, I realize there are more ways to understanding the past than these four, but when I look back and consider my pain, my hurt, my triumphs, my joys, and the mysteries, I have great confidence to actually tell you tonight, Jesus was not part of any of that. Jesus was not part of my past. I can actually stand before you and say, he was in all of those things. He wasn't just a piece of those things. He wasn't just a part of those things. I don't look back at even my sinful, selfish choices or other people's sinful, selfish choices or sacrificial or or the mystery and say, well, I think he was part of that. I think he was a piece of that. I can look backwards and say, no, he was all of my past, not just part of my past. I wrote it down like this. He was in all of those things bringing me to where I am and who I am today. Not just a piece of those things, but he was in all of those things. Uh, Ravi Zacharias, who is a pastor, theologian, scholar, author, in a great book called The Grand Weaver, Uh, and it talks about how God uses all of the events. It's kind of, he compares it to a tapestry. And if you've ever seen the back of a tapestry, it's ugly. It just looks completely in disarray and disorganized. But you look at the front of the tapestry, and it's like, wow, that is beautiful art. And so he said this, across history, people have come to God through different experiences. But in the end, they have seen a designing hand that shaped their lives and their circumstances. You see a designing hand behind all of those things. And sometimes I thought he was silent, but now I see he was not. At times I thought he was absent. Today, I know he was there. He has gently yet unmistakably demonstrated to me both by argument and by experience that he is very near and very active. Jesus isn't a piece or a part of my past. I look back and say he is my past. He was very near, very gentle, but very active in all of the things leading me up to today. So if I'm going to see Jesus as part of my past, the problem with that is he's going to be part of my present. And Jesus doesn't want to be part of my present, and he doesn't want us to even think of him as part of our past. He doesn't want us living compartmentalized as well. One of the things that uh, scripture refers to Jesus, and it's an incredible title, it says Jesus is the author. It says this in Hebrews, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Peter says this uh, when he's addressing the crowds. He says, you killed the author of life. Jesus is the author of your life. He is the author of your story. And Jesus did not start writing your story when you met him. He did not start writing your story when you met him. He wrote the story so that you would come to know him and his amazing love for you. Jesus is not just the author or part of your story or a piece of your story. He is the author of your entire story, past present, uh, and future. Now, again, as I'm looking back, I'm trying to help understand my past and how do I fit this all together. I I wanted to make some observations. And again, as you hear these observations, you're going to be like, Michael, these are no brainers. And I I realize that. But I, I wanted you to hear these observations because I sometimes don't think we consider the weight of how our past has impacted us. So my first observation would be this. Your past has profoundly impacted who you are today. I know you know that, but I just wanted you to hear that afresh. Your past has profoundly impacted who you are today. Not just where you are today in life, but who you are as a person. Everything that has happened in your life up to this point has profoundly impacted who you are. A second observation, very similar, your past has profoundly impacted how you understand and relate with God the situations, the circumstances in your past has profoundly impacted how you understand and relate with God. Now, how that's worked for me is there have been people in my life that I was hurt by, and they were men and women who said, we love God, we know God, we're walking with God, but then they did incredibly selfish, sinful, rebellious things, and I used what they did as an excuse to say, well, if that's what they're like, then that's what God must be like, and I want nothing to do with God. And so I can look back at how people have impacted or shaped or formed my understanding of God, how I relate with God. A third observation is your past has profoundly impacted how you relate with those around you. Your past, meaning the men and women that you have interacted with, profoundly impacted how you relate with those around you now. Well, that person really hurt me, so therefore, anyone who's a Christian, I can't really trust them because the last time a Christian I trusted them they they let me down they disappointed they they hurt me. And so for years and years and years I've avoided being in community, being in friendships, being in relationships because of what other people have done. Now these are most likely not new observations, but I mention these because I feel like a lot of people that I meet say, "Michael, I just feel stuck in life. I want to move forward." And I've been stuck for a long time, not just like a few days or a few weeks or months, but I've been stuck in this place. And the prevailing thought is, if my situation or if my circumstance could change, then I would change. But because I'm in this place, I'm stuck in this moment, and my encouragement to them, my question to them often is this. Well, I understand that you feel stuck. And I also understand that you feel like if your situation, circumstance changed, then you would change. But let me ask you some questions about your story. Where did you come from? Tell me some things that you feel like have impacted and shaped you. And so if you want to move forward, you have to go backwards. In order to go forwards, it is healthy, it is important to actually look backwards. So this is a huge question. But my question for you right now would just be this How has your past shaped who you are today? How has your past, past experiences, past pains, past triumphs, past relationships, how has your past shaped who you are today as a man, as a woman? Now, again, I realize that's a huge question, and my point in asking that question is not to overwhelm you. Rather, I just want you to see that your past. Past pains, hurts, disappointments, triumphs, victories, mysteries, they have all had a profound impact on you. All of it has. And if you don't want to live stuck, if you want to say, you know, I want to move forward. I want to move forward in my relationship with God. I want to move forward in my relationships with other people. Then let's spend some time together tonight looking backwards so that we can go forward. And as we look backwards, my heart and my hope is that you would say, oh, you know what? Jesus wasn't part of any of that. He wasn't a piece of that. Jesus was all of that. And Jesus used all of that to bring me to where I am today. So here's the question I'm going to raise and hopefully answer tonight is, how might I rightly understand Jesus is my past? Not a part, not a piece, but how can I rightly think about, how can I rightly understand Jesus' is my past so that I can live all in with Jesus today and tomorrow. So he's, I'm understanding not just a piece or part of my past. He is my past so that as I move forward, I can say he is my life, not a piece, not a part of my life. Maybe call these challenges, maybe call them reminders, but I share with you three things in answering that question. And number one would be this. If you would see Jesus as your past, meaning Jesus is your present, he is your life, he is your future, number one would be this. Well, then you got to live forgiven. You have to live forgiven. For years, I allowed my biggest failures, my biggest sins, my biggest rebellions to define who I was. That's how I understood who I was. What I allowed to shape me and form me was my biggest failures, disappointments, and sins. And when I thought about God, that's what I thought God thought of me, was God would just look at me and just shake his head in disgust and disappointment because I was just stuck in that same place doing that same thing that I never said I'd do again. So I was, my biggest failures and rebellions and sins is what defined me. And because I allowed my failures and rebellions to define me, I repeated again and again the very thing that I was allowing to define me. And I wanted you to hear tonight Your biggest failure or failures or sins or rebellion, it is not what defines you. It is not what makes you up. It is not what makes you, you. Your biggest failures and sins and rebellion are not what defines you. What defines you is that you are forgiven. That when God looks at you, he says you're forgiven. That failure, that sin, that rebellion, that selfishness, it is absolutely, completely forgiven. Biggest failures, sins, rebellions are not bigger than God's forgiveness for you. Now, here's the question. Can you imagine living no longer defined by your sin, but by God's love for you, by God's grace for you? And I don't know if this resonates with you, but it, for a better part of my life, what I allowed to define me was every time I fell down, was my sins and my rebellion. And the thought of being actually defined no longer by my failure, but defined by one who was loved by God, that was so freeing. That was so, I wanted that. This is, uh, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, uh, there's an individual, David, King David. And at the end of King David's life, if you're familiar with King David, uh, he made a lot, of, a lot of failure, a lot of sin, a lot of rebellion. But at the end of King David's life, this is what he says, for I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not turned from God to follow evil. I have followed all his regulations. I have never abandoned his decrees. I am blameless before God. I have kept myself from sin. Now, how many of you, when you hear those two verses, are like, "Uh, no, you didn't. Not even close. What are you talking about, King David, that you've been blameless before God, yet you've kept yourself from sin? You slept with another man's wife, then you killed him in hopes to cover it up, and now you're just adding lying to your long resume of failures. What are you talking about? That's, when I read that verse, I was like, what? It's not even close to true. How many of you, when you hear that, you think that? Now, when I do that to King David, I'm keeping him where he was rather than where God's grace brought him. I'm keeping him where he was rather than where God's grace brought him. And when I do that to myself, I keep myself where I am rather than where God's grace has brought me. Because King David was able to say that because he understood the enormity of God's grace, God's love, God's forgiveness. He says in Psalm 32, and this is a psalm that was written shortly after David had sinned and committed adultery and committed murder and covered it up. It says in verse 30, chapter 32, verse 5, finally, I confessed all my sins to you, and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I don't know if that resonates or if you've been there. God, I'm just, I'm going to cover this up with my perceived good works. But David comes and says, I confessed all my sins to you, and I stopped trying to hide. And I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And what does God do next? David says, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Isn't that amazing? That it just took David saying, God, I'm going to stop hiding. This is where I am, and this is what I've done. And when he put his sin on the table, his rebellion on the table, it says in the end of verse 5, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. For many, the guilt and the shame of what you've done is completely dominating and completely destroying you today. You live enslaved to past sins, past rebellions, past selfishness, And consequently, those are the things that are actually defining you. And I just wanted you to hear one more time, that's not what defines you. Because David understood the forgiveness of God, he could get to the end of his life and say, I'm blameless before God. How can you say that? Well, God forgave me of all my sin and doesn't remember my sin. So if God doesn't remember my sin, why on earth would I choose to remember my sin? It says in Romans 8, So now, no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. If you belong to Christ, you have a relationship with Jesus, then he he doesn't look at you and say, you're condemned. He doesn't look at you and say, shame and guilt, sin. He says, forgiven. Forgiven and forgotten. Colossians 2. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away but then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all of your sins. I emphasize all. He didn't forgive some of them. He didn't forgive a few of them. He didn't forgive part of them. It says he forgave all of your sins, and he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. This is a, a long quote I want to read to you, but uh, Tully and wrote read a gro- great book called One Way Love, and It's God's one-way love for us. His love is not dependent on our ability to love him. He loves us. And he says this, One-way love is always at its most palpable and transformative when we are at our lowest ebb. Grace, like water, flows to the lowest part. The gospel declares that our guilt has been atoned for, the law has been fulfilled. In Christ, the ultimate demand has been met. The deepest judgment has been satisfied. Jesus took upon himself all the judgment we deserve from God so we can be free from the paralyzing fear of judgment. We no longer need to live under the burden of trying to appease the judgment we feel. It's a really long way of saying what defines you is not... Your sin and your failure and rebellion, what defines you is God's forgiveness in your life. And I read this verse a few weeks ago, and I wanted to bring it back because I wanted to make clear God not only forgives you of sin, he doesn't think about the sins that we've committed. He forgets them. It says in Isaiah, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't think of them. So if God doesn't think of them, then why do you? Why do I? Well, that's what I've allowed to define me. Well, Jesus isn't part of my past. Jesus is my past. And as I look back in my past, I can say with just absolute confidence that my sin, my rebellion, my failures, my selfishness has all been forgiven. Michael, I forgive you. And I don't think about these things. And I don't want you thinking about these things. I want you thinking about me. I want you thinking about my great love for you, my grace, my mercy, my kindness. So that like King David, he can say, I'm blameless. I'm blameless. Well, God doesn't remember. He has chosen to forgive and to forget. What does it look like? For us to say, Jesus isn't part of my past, but he is my past, well, number one would be that we live forgiven, no longer defined by the sins and the rebellions, but defined by the forgiveness that God gives to those who put their faith in Jesus. Number two would be this. If you're going to live forgiven, then Jesus is part of my, not part of my past, but he is my past, and he, he has all of me moving forward. Number, number two would be live forgiving, I'm going to live forgiven, then moving forward, I live forgiving. And I realize this is a hard one. Okay, this is a really hard one. If we'd be all in with Jesus, no longer part of your life, but all of your life, then to live forgiving, it's a non negotiable. That when I look back at my past pains and my hurts, my disappointments, when I look at my current hurts, disappointments, when I look at future hurts, My thought is not hanging on to bitterness and anger and rage and just ignoring or hating the people who have done that. When I look at those past pains or current pains, I live forgiving. I live as forgiven, but I also live moving forward as living as forgiving. Now, unfortunately, what has shaped many people today is what others have said or done in the past. And I've seen many people... Try to just let it go, okay? That's a great song. I love singing Let It Go with my kids, but it is impossible to just let it go and say, well, it is what it is. It happened. It's no big deal. I've moved forward. I've moved on. I wrote it down like this. You cannot let go of that which remains unforgiven in your life. You cannot let go of something unless you've chosen to give grace and forgiveness to the very thing that hurts you. Because if you choose to say, well, I'm going to let it go, but I haven't forgiven it, well, there's still seeds of anger and disappointment and hurt and bitterness, and that eventually will take over. We live as forgiven ones, but we live as forgiving ones. Now, I think one of the hard things about being able to live forgiving is, especially as we look back to those that have hurt us in our past, is... We don't really see the point and the purpose. We don't see the point and the purpose in the pain. And I wrote a town in my journal like this pain is pain, but pain without purpose is even greater pain. And so when I look back to the people that have hurt me or disappointed or just maliciously attacked me, God, what was that all about? Now, I don't know if you're familiar with Joseph, he was a man in the Old Testament. And if you read his story in the back half of Genesis, starting in Genesis 39, he was a man who was maliciously attacked by his own family. He had a brothers, and his brothers hated him. And his brothers tried to kill him. Tried to kill him because they hated him that much. And they said, you know what? We can't kill him. That, that's, that's, that's pushing it too far. So let's just sell him into slavery. Let's just get rid of him. We want nothing to do with him, so let's gang up on him and get rid of him. And years and years after sitting in slavery and then in prison, Joseph is reunited with his brothers. And you would think that when Joseph sees his brothers, I'm going to get you back for what you did to me. And he was going to be filled with anger and hatred and bitterness towards the people who intentionally tried to kill and then just get rid of him. And this is what Joseph says when he's being reunited with his brothers for the first time in many years. Just read two quick verses in Genesis 45 and then Genesis 50. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. And then Genesis 50. He says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. And he brought me to this position so I could save the lives of Of many people. Joseph understood the forgiveness of God in his life, and because he understood the forgiveness of God in his life, he could give forgiveness to those who intentionally hurt him. Can you imagine him saying to his brothers, guys, listen, I know you tried to kill me because you hated me, and then you sold me into slavery, and you did that intentionally because your hatred for me was that strong. But I just want you to know, even though you intended that for evil, I actually see that God used that for good. He used that for your good and the good of thousands of people. If you don't understand the purpose in pain looking backwards, it's very discouraging. Joseph had a completely different perspective and was able to forgive those who maliciously intended to hurt him. Now, again, I realize that there are many here who have been badly hurt by others in your past. I realize that. Like I realize that there's many people here who have been physically abused, mentally or emotionally or spiritually or relationally abused. And I'm not trying to downplay your pain or your hurt or your disappointment. But if you would say Jesus is not part of my past, he is my past. And if you would say Jesus is not part of my life, he is my life then we look backwards at the events of our life and even to the people who maliciously intended harm, and we say, I'm gonna choose the path of forgiveness. I'm gonna choose the path of grace and forgiveness for them. Uh, Milton Vincent, in a great book called The Gospel Primer, said, doing good and showing love to those who have wronged me is always the opposite of what my sinful nature wants me to do. Nonetheless, when I remind myself, and here's the key, we need to remind ourselves of my sins against God and of his forgiving and generous. uh, Nonetheless, when I remind myself of my sins against God and of his forgiving and generous grace towards me, I give the gospel an opportunity to reshape my perspective and to put me in the frame of mind wherein I actually desire to give the same grace to those who have wronged me. I'm not saying this is easy, but what I am saying is it's necessary. If you would live as a forgiven one, then you live as a forgiving one. But if Jesus is going to be part of your life, then that's a part of your life you don't have to pay attention to. I don't want to give forgiveness. It was too hard. It was too hurtful. But if you're here tonight and would say, no longer peace, no longer part of my past, he is my past, no longer peace or part of my life, he is my life, then we live as forgiving ones. Colossians, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves You must clothe yourselves. I want you to pay attention to the wardrobe. Okay, if you're all in, if Jesus is your life, these are the clothes that we wear. Clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, and with patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. That right there, let me just stop. Make allowance for each other's faults. We give each other room and time and space to grow and to mature. I hope there would be things that we will not intentionally do to hurt each other, but the reality is we will hurt one another. And if we do not give allowance for each other to grow and to mature and to learn, then this would be a community filled with bitter, angry people. But Scripture says we clothe ourselves, we make allowance For each other's faults, and we forgive anyone who offends you. And I love how Paul finishes his thought. It's almost like he's thinking, I know some of you are going to say, I don't want to do that. I don't feel like forgiving or making allowance for people who have hurt me. And so Paul finishes his thought by saying, and by the way, remember, the Lord forgave you. The Lord forgave you, so you must. It's not an option. You must forgive others. Before I share one final thought, I would just, I would ask you this question here. Who in your life needs your forgiveness tonight? Who in your life have you been hanging on to the hurt and the bitterness and the frustration and the disappointment and the anger? And tonight, not tomorrow, but tonight, they just, they need forgiveness. Even if they intentionally hurt you, even if they have done things and said things, whether recently. Or years ago, who in your life needs to hear from you? I forgive. I forgive you. Why do you forgive me? Well, if you knew what I had done against God and his forgiveness, then you would understand. But I have been, I am one who has been forgiven of much. And I just want you to know I forgive you. I forgive you. Who in your life needs to hear from you tonight? An extension of grace, an extension of mercy, an extension of t- being tender-hearted and kind. Living forgiving is not easy, meaning there's a cost, but the cost of living bitter, it's just even greater. So we live forgiven, we live forgiving, and then the last thing I would share with you tonight, if Jesus is not going to be part or piece of your past, but he is your past, and he's not going to be piece or part of your life, he is your life, the last one I'd share with you is this you live forward. You live forward. You don't live backwards. I know I'm saying, hey, let's think backwards, but we're looking backwards in order to go forwards. Live forward. Now, if there's ever a man in Scripture that could have lived backwards, if there was ever a man who in Scripture would say, you know what? I made so many devastating mistakes, so many, so many failures. I think the Apostle Paul would be in the running for that. As the Apostle Paul looks back at his life, looks backwards, he says, You know what I was like. This is in Galatians. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion and how violently, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. Paul says I was a violent man. I hated the church, and I did anything and everything I possibly could to actually kill this thing called Christianity. Christianity. I did anything and everything I could to prevent Christianity from growing. I did my best to destroy it. But he goes on in verse 15. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. Paul was able to look back and see that even before he knew Jesus, Jesus not only knew him, but had set him apart for something different. Paul could have lived his life backwards of always saying, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe that's where I used to be. He could have lived his life saying, always looking backwards. And I think there's a lot of people who live backwards, living in the past of, I can't believe I did that. But Paul, I love how he says it in Philippians, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. This word straining, I'm striving, I'm working. I'm not going backwards, I'm not looking backwards, I'm not living backwards, I'm straining, I'm striving, I'm working forwards to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now to be clear, when Paul says I'm forgetting everything. He is not saying we forget God. He's not saying we forget the promises and the provision of God in our life. But what Paul is saying is, I'm going to forget past failures. Why? Because they've been forgiven. But I think what Paul is also saying, not only am I going to forget past failures and sins and rebellions, I'm not going to remember past victories as well. I'm not going to be the guy who is just living in the good old days and the glory days, If I would move forward, moving forward means I forget where I've been and what I've done, whether good or bad. I live forward. I move forward. Now, I know this is, it makes sense to say, well, yeah, of course, let's forget the things, the sinful, the rebellion choices that we've made because they've been forgiven. But I think what's hard is, wait, we should also forget the triumphs and the victories? And I think when Paul says, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward. It is easier to live off of past victories, past triumphs, than actually trust God for new ones. It is easier to look back and say, well, years ago, I was walking with God in such a powerful way. I don't really do that anymore, but that's what I'm I'm choosing to kind of live off of the old stuff rather than trusting God for actually new stories, new victories, new triumphs. Matt Chandler, in a great book called uh, To Live is Christ, To Die is Gain, it's kind of a commentary on Philippians. He says this, those wins can all be beautiful reminders of God's provision, of God's power, but they can also make us smug and lazy if we try to rest in those temporary victories. The victory of yesterday was given to you by the grace of of yesterday. Today comes with grace of its own. Yesterday's grace is inadequate in the face of today's struggles. And I like how he says, we got to forget what is behind. And that includes the good things and the bad things. I'm not saying forget God's provision, his faithfulness, but we're not living off of yesterday's reputation. There's a really powerful letter uh, in Revelation that Jesus wrote to some churches. And in one of the churches in Revelation 2, Jesus just simply says, you have the reputation of being alive. Other people look at you, and they say, wow, you are flourishing. You are alive. You have the appearance. You have the reputation of being alive. But then Jesus simply says, but you're dead. Because I know, and I can see that you are living off old things. You're living off the glory days. That's your reputation. But Jesus says, but I know you. I know where you're at, and you're spiritually dead and dying. If we would live forward, we forget what is behind. Past failures, past triumphs, because God has new things for us. Paul was able to live forward because he was convinced that Jesus had more for him. And I just wanted to share with you as we close, Jesus has more for you. Paul called this his upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what he was straining forward. If you don't know what your upward call of God in Christ Jesus is, you're going to have a hard time straining forward. And by the way, if you're like, what is my upward call? All of our upward call is exactly the same thing. There's no difference in my upward call and your upward call. Paul says in Acts 20, my life worth nothing to me unless I use it uh, for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. That's his upward call. You know what? That's my upward call. You know what? That's your upward call, to be a voice of the wonderful grace of God, to be a demonstration of the wonderful grace of God. So no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter who you're with, your upward call at home, in your marriage, with your kids, in your dating relationships, in your work environment, your career environment, wherever you are, your upward call, what we're straining for, God, allow me to be a demonstration today of your wonderful grace. God, allow me to be voice to those that I'm with today, in this moment, in this time, in this space, of your wonderful grace. That is your upward call. Jesus is not part of my past. He's all of my past. He's not part of your past. He is all of your past. He was at work in your past in order that you'd see him today, be more like him tomorrow, so that those around you would know and see his love for them. Live forgiven, live forgiving, and live forward.